So my name's Sarah Dab, and today's date is Monday the 2nd of November 2020. Can't believe it's November already. And this interview is taking place via Zoom. So just to get us started, Ruth, um, I know you're called Ruth, can you just tell me a little bit about you and your background and start off by telling me your name and the year that you were born? Okay, my name is Ruth Donnelly and I was born in 1976. Okay, and where did you grow up and can you tell me a bit about your professional work background? <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I grew up in East Kilbride, one of the uh, peripheral uh, estates around Glasgow and I stumbled into this role via youth work and working in a museum and I was a an arts development worker and yeah yeah came into the NHS in 2005 uh, after working for a charity setting up a befriending project so jack of all trades master of none the emphasis on the master of none, yes. <laughs> um, so can you tell me a bit about how, so you, you're currently working in the NHS, yes. you've done a variety of roles before that, did you did you go to university and study a particular subject or did you? I, yeah, I studied, um, do, you want, do you want, will I give you a potted history, is that more? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so I studied theatre studies and English literature at Glasgow Uni. But while I was doing that, I worked um, in the local theatre um, with the with the youth theatre there and as an usher. Um, and then also at uni, I worked um, as a youth worker um, and quite a, an old-fashioned, uh, yeah, makes me quite sad, model of youth work. Um, so we had a, we had a youth centre in East Kilbride that had a lot of uh, provision for the arts, sort of live music, and I was a drama worker there and a visual arts worker there, and we did yeah the usual kind of trips, places. Um, I worked with young people that were, I guess, uh, not, not doing particularly well in mainstream education, um, sometimes one-to-one -one and sometimes just yeah large groups of kids having, having a bit of a laugh. And it was so long ago that you could smoke in the youth club. That is how long ago. <laughs> it seems like completely bizarre now. Um, so I left uni. I did, a, I did an ordinary degree because I hated university. Um, and then I moved to Edinburgh and worked as a museum education facilitator in the Museum of Scotland, um, which I loved because there was four of us, all different backgrounds, and we were given this brand new space within the what was then brand new Museum of Scotland and we had to develop all the kind of education package around it so how would school kids learn about Romans, Mary Queen of Scots, blah blah blah. Um, left that uh, probably because I felt like I'd not mastered it but it, yeah it became repetitive. So after 18 months moved to Dundee uh, to work for the Dundee Rep um, as an outreach drama worker there um, that was part-time, so I kind of supplemented my income with bits and bobs of freelance work, again, in the days where you could pick up, you know what I mean, 150 quid on a Saturday by doing an arts workshop. I don't think life is like that anymore. And then back to Glasgow to <clears throat> be the project coordinator for a children's project in Bellsmire in Dumbartonshire. Um, and that was, again, had a lot, it was, it was really focused on arts participation. And then into um, Healthy Valleys, which was one of the, the original kind of healthy living initiatives 
but it's still surviving. I think it's expanded. Um, and that worked across seven um, predominantly ex-mining communities in rural Lanarkshire. And my role was to be the befriending development worker. So to set up a befriending project for adults um, who were experiencing mental health problems. Um, and then from there, a post in the NHS with a project called Positive Mental Attitudes in 2005 um, and stayed there uh, really until, until that project came to an end. But by that point, we'd come within the kind of health improvement workforce. So my, my role is now really quite separate from all of that. It's quite different. However, that was my kind of yeah route in to the NHS. And I from, yeah I still remain there now. Still with a kind of mental health remit in parts. Mm-hmm. So really interesting, Ruth. I love hearing people's stories just about how they got to where they are now. And it's it's always yeah. interesting to hear just yeah. that sort of variety and different, you know, avenues and opportunities yeah. that you've taken yeah. up. And, um, and it, it does make me quite nostalgic about the, the thought of my kids growing up um, in quite different kind of economic circumstances. Because one, one of my favourite jobs was, uh, I was an usher at the King's Theatre and it was a four-hour shift. It was £5 an hour. You get a 15-minute break. You got a taxi home and you got to pick your shift. So if there was a show you really wanted to see and you were skint, you could say, right, I want to do five evenings and two matinees, you know. Um, or you could say, actually, I'm busy this week because I've got a coursework to hand in. I'm not going to pick up any shift. So, yeah, feel like I've definitely benefited from quite a different time in terms of jobs. Yeah. And now, obviously, NHS, I'm in a job for life if I want it, which, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I can relate to quite a lot of what you're, what you're saying. I've, I feel like yeah. I've had a similar sort of, uh, yeah, lots of different uh, lots of different jobs and different um, yep. opportunities, so it's, it's interesting. Which I want to ask you about, but, yeah, I'm not interviewing you, so I will. <laughs> no, I won't, uh, I know. So I just want to talk, obviously this um, interview is is about the arts, particularly in mental health, and it's trying to, um, you know, look at that in, in bigger depth and try and work out, you know, what particular um, aspects of the arts has been beneficial in different, different sort of settings that you've been in. And... I suppose the the project that you're talking about that you worked in in mental health, yep. positive minds, um, positive mental attitudes, positive mental attitudes. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so, can you tell me a wee bit more about that and just what that yeah. job entailed? And yeah, so yeah. the the initial <clears throat> remit, I believe, was to work um, to reduce the stigma associated with mental health um, problems in Easter House in Glasgow uh, using the arts. So that was the, the job that I came into. Um, and we, we yeah, did exactly what it says in the tin, um, used, used the arts to kind of engage with people around mental health. Um, <clears throat> whether, sorry, <coughs> whether that was about training, so making, you know, making kind of films and videos and plays and things like that that were educational. Uh, we made a piece of theatre that was about suicide prevention where people could interact with the audience and kind of uh, practice asking people about suicide. Um, we yeah, did arts projects with 
people that had um, usually quite severe, uh, severe and enduring mental illnesses. Um, so bringing a lot of their kind of their own stories into that to you know kind of produce and work through, um, and then yeah, sharing them with a with a wider audience. So there was quite a lot to it, and then there was different strands to it as well that were about um, sort of workplace mental health improvement. Um, I did a lot of work around schools and a mental health curriculum from, for schools. Um, but the arts, the arts strand of it was yeah quite key to it. Um, and where um, where the project really had picked up, um, yeah, participants, volunteers, however however you want to term them. So that was kind of where the community was was uh, people that yeah had experienced eye stigma really. How did you target those pe people, the audience? How did you how did you find them? Well, to some extent, they were already there when I came in. But this this was back in the olden days. We had things like links clubs and clubhouses and places where people felt, you know, felt safe and felt familiar um, that they would. Yeah, that a lot of people naturally went to anyway. So there was this kind of um, community, really, of connected yeah, people that that live with yeah, longer term mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. um, so that, yeah, it was quite easy. And then if you did something, you know, if you, we, we were open to anybody. It's, yeah, open to absolutely anybody. Um, so any kind of performance or, uh, you know, a bit of poetry booklet or anything that would come out would tell people how they could join, how they could participate. So there was a bit of that kind of engagement, ongoing engagement with people. Um, so there was a, a nucleus, if you like, of people that had been around for a while, maybe been in that kind of clubhouse, link club type model. But then the broader wider group of people that got something out of arts participation um, and I think one of the yeah you can't you can't really draw a line between people that have experienced mental health problems and people that haven't you know I can imagine people that haven't are I don't know one percent of the population or something some weird yeah psychological makeup so people were attracted to that because they felt um, lacking in confidence or because they were lonely or because they yeah wanted to create um, but yeah, all all within that this yeah this is a mental health improvement project with kind of mental health as its goals. But you know some people would come to that because yeah they got other things out of it, or maybe they'd struggled with addiction and felt stigmatised because of that, or yeah they were yeah bereaved and grieving, or yes yeah, so it was definitely became a much wider community. Mm -hmm. But I do I do feel that we don't we've we've lost that, and I personally worked really hard along with others to try and make arts participation accessible for everybody uh, but it's not really happened so while while we kind of we closed down these kind of structures where people um would kind of go during the day and meet people um I don't think we've I don't think we've made provision in the broader community so I think we still have people that are going to experience symptoms of mental illness and don't have those places to go. Mm -hmm. Do you mean having somewhere, somewhere specific to go that isn't mainstream for those people or do you mean the opposite? Oh sorry I'm not, I'm not really sure I'm thinking I'm thinking of um, yeah so in Easter House there was a link club it was called mm -hmm. and it was drop-in mm -hmm. uh, you know sort of tea, tea coffee the odd activity um, and you know, from I suppose visiting them, they would not seem like the most inspiring places. You know, a bit a bit grim, 
Um, so there was a real move, as there should have been, to kind of, you know, yeah, have places, have, have people kind of engage with broader society and be supportive to do that. But I yeah. think now what we've got is a situation where people are still shut out from those kind of mainstream places to go. Um, and I could see that with the arts participation, because uh, we worked with uh, a local arts company to bring our provision into theirs and kind of all work together. But what, what it's really done is for them, they, they still have, yeah, the issues with managing the need of maybe one or two individuals in a group that have, you know, really quite, maybe quite florid symptoms of mental illness or just require quite a lot of support, balancing that with the needs of, you know, actually I'm, I'm Jimmy and I'm just here because, you know, I want to learn how to act. You know, so I just I don't I don't feel that we've yeah I don't think we've got there yet. Yeah. And do you think what do you think the reason for that is? Do you feel that it's sort of resource resources yeah. or? Yeah, I think I think the arts. I mean, pre-COVID, yeah, it's been kind of success of government policy has you know reduced services back to their bare bones you know and it's seen as an add-on a fringe a nice benefit you know even the way I'm talking about it, you know in the olden days when we had money you know we could we could do these things um so it's been it's been it's been eroded so the capacity is yeah limited and I guess we're increasingly living in a society where if you've got the means to do things then you can and if you can't then you're you're shut out and whether that's the fact that it's I don't know like £2.70 or something to get a bus into town in Glasgow you know, five forty return. That's that's you know, closing people out from access to the spaces, for mm. sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think an erosion of support, massive erosion of like community development capacity. That's that was something that you know I think, even though we know that that works, it's yeah not being invested in. So those kind of yeah structures that would support people to kind of engage in a way that works for them locally or yeah they're going they're going and I guess people that have um, that are marginalized already will suffer first mm -hmm. that's quite grim but well I know I know I think you've articulated that really well Ruth I, I can um agree I think was the um was it mainly adults then, or was it only adults? That um, in in my that. role with PMA, it was adults. Yeah, so my kind of the role with children, if you like, was um, primarily schools education. Mm -hmm. However, in doing that, we worked with um, like a kids a youth theatre company um, and another media company that worked with children to then produce these kind of stigma reducing. Uh, mental health awareness raising type pieces so yeah it wasn't directly working with young people we also did quite a lot of work although it's not about the arts with um, youth workers and um, child and adolescent mental health services to try and bring these two worlds together and have them feel they're part of a kind of a continuum if you like you know so cams you know people are so frustrated with cams because you can't get the people into it However, your kind of your frontline defence is all the other people that engage with a young person, you know, that maybe know first that they're being bullied or that they're struggling with something. And yeah, so we did we did a lot of work, I suppose, around young people, but not not directly with. So it was adults, mm -hmm. for the arts participation. Mm -hmm. 
And just going back to some of the, the projects with those adults, were they um, initiated by the adults themselves or would you think of a, you know, have some artists who would offer a project and then that was offered to? A mixture of both. So yeah. so we had artists primarily at always that would work with what people wanted to work on but bring a kind of bag of tricks with them. So the drama drama facilitators always um, did kind of improvised work with people, you know, to collaborative and uh, never, I don't think we ever did anything that was scripted, you know, so if I was in it, I would invent my character and but I would know kind of loosely what the format was of that scene. So it was all very much um, working together. So do you want to talk a wee bit, Ruth, about what your job is now? What, what you're currently... Yeah, so it's quite, it's quite different. Um, so I, at the minute, so I'm a health improvement lead. I've got a small team. I am in, a, in the kind of normal, in the normal world, pre-COVID, we did a lot of work around kind of social connections and reducing social isolation. Um, in particular neighbourhoods, so the neighbourhoods um, that have been identified as part of Scottish Government locality planning as, yeah, being at the kind of the bo- the bottom of the scale in terms of yeah what what a slice they get of life's resources. Um, um so work with um yeah parents, um people bereaved, um yeah arts arts work but through our local arts company, so through platforms still. Uh, we were looking at kind of another arts referral process. Um, so yeah, I guess lots of loosely mental health related stuff that's about um, creating social connections um, because yeah, as a society we've become increasingly less connected, but also as the the bedrock really for kind of social and democratic participation. So it kind of yeah, the people that that are marginalised have yeah their voices aren't heard. Um, and yeah, they've had such terrible experiences of being consulted with and engaged with. So that's that was my kind of normal job at the minute. Um, we're doing some of that stuff online. We're doing some of it, the, the bereavement work. We kind of thought sod this, <laughs> and we're doing it. We're just doing it. So the person on my team, she's doing it. She's doing it socially distanced. It did not work for people doing bereavement groups um, online because a lot of people particularly in the northeast of Glasgow, don't have access to, they don't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> you know, they've got maybe a smartphone that's got limited data on it. So anyway, so we're doing some face-to-face, but the other, the kind of biggest bit of my work at the moment is working around the primary care improvement plan, which is the Scottish government's ambition really to have GPs become more of a kind of a specialist <laughs> a specialist generalist role, which is basically to try and make sure everything that's not stuff that needs to go to GPs doesn't go to GPs because they're an incredibly expensive resource and they're completely overburdened. Um, So my bit of that was to investigate um, awareness of trauma-informed practice in general practice. Um, Do you know much about trauma-informed practice? Yeah, you're nodding away. Mm -hmm. You'll not be surprised to know that levels of awareness of that are low to, to none um not not necessarily amongst all gps but majority of gps and allied staff are like what what is this thing that the scottish government have come up with now that we have to do um the other bit of that which is much more linear and much more pleasant in some ways was looking at um, people presenting in distress in gp surgeries 
um, and where else they could be better supported. So got a contract with the Glasgow Association for Mental Health to provide, it's called a Compassionate Distress Response Service, but it's basically to do a much better holistic, person-centred response to distress. So the kind of the, the overall aim is keep this away from GPs, but in actual fact, it's much better for people because GP surgeries or in the yeah pre-COVID it would have been accident and emergency or police or whoever are not they're not best place to deal with us when we're just really upset and needing to kind of have some support. So that's that's my that's my job in a nutshell at the minute. Um, bit of a remit around suicide prevention and asylum seekers and refugees as well so not not a whole not a whole lot of arts mm-hmm. of art stuff but does any of would any of that involve um like social prescriptions through gps this yes so we've 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 kind of steered away slightly from that social prescription term mm-hmm. and, and we're trying to we're looking more at kind of referral so it's so i suppose it it's yeah Aye, it's less paternalistic than that. You know, I'm writing a prescription to go to the gym. It's, you know, actually, would, would you fancy trying this and we can make those connections for you? So the the um, project that we had that got... In fact, we had a project a long time ago, which I think... I don't know if I mentioned this. Didn't mention it earlier, but um, we had a an arts referral programme in the past where we tried to get people that were waiting for primary care mental health support into what what was a, a drama project instead although we didn't market it as a drama project um so it's kind of reprising some of the learning from that and, and the kind of biggest bit of learning from that is and it'll be no surprise to you arts participation did wonders for people and actually helped address some of the stuff that happened the reason for them being on the waiting list in the first place however the um the referral route was was awful because clinicians did not they did not recognise arts participation or even kind of third sector providers as having the necessary kind of skills and professionalism. It feels like that's changed. It feels like we're a lot better now at kind of going actually maybe you know maybe this doesn't need to sit with me as a psychologist. Maybe actually this is about you meeting other people in the same situation, you know, who are also, you know, parents of under fives or are also seeking asylum. Um, so it feels like a better time. The model that we'd put in place was um, for community links workers to have a named person at platform. So I would say, um, Sarah, can I introduce you to, to Jane? And Jane's going to chat to you about some of the stuff they've got on. Um, but Jane would also then become your kind of connect person to go, you know, to fancy. I know you're a bit worried about the creative writing thing, but do you want to just meet me in the library and I'll introduce you to some folks. So that really kind of soft handover, you know, kind of support into that. Um, but we're also looking pre-COVID at a measure of um, a measure of social isolation that's kind of co-produced with people. So people can kind of measure their own progress against it. Because what, what we found was... Um, none of the kind of the you would get the direct benefit of the arts participation like people would say I feel like this and it's done this and it's done that but it was only when you really knew people that they would tell you the knock-on stuff you know like actually when my mum saw me on stage you know she was amazed at my confidence and now she worries about me less or you know or now I got on the number 42 to get to this 
you know, also got on this bus. So it was to try and kind of, yeah, measure some of that. All on hold. <laughs> All on hold. And I think some some arts, and I know Platform, they're doing, they're doing stuff online, but it just, yeah, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And I think it's quite hard. I, think, I suppose as has just been demonstrated with us, it's quite hard to kind of hold people emotionally through mm-hmm. a screen. <laughs> And I think you really want to be able to do that kind of, that physical, I'm alongside you in this, I'm here for you, you know, pick up on cues, all of that. So we are we are hopeful that we'll do that. But yeah, we've tended to stay away from arts, yeah, arts on prescription and yeah, just call it by different languages. I think yeah. I think because as well, I kind of feel, you know, if I, if I went to my GP and said, you know, I'm really struggling, I've got really low mood or I'm really anxious, and then he said, I'm going to prescribe you, I don't know, a book or a writing class, I would be furious, you know. I'm not coming to you for your opinion on my, you know, my social life. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's kind of put, putting yourself in other people's shoes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in, in that link between... Um, you know like professional NHS and like third sector and how um, I suppose partly for for this I feel like that's maybe something that's that's kind of missing but it's never been a um, and I'm just wondering what what your thoughts are and what um, the reasons for that are you know with um you know, it it just feels like they've always been very separate, and and there must be some something. It, it feels a bit like what's happened at platform is that kind of in between, almost where you've got those links and um, yeah, got that support. But just for um, I don't know. Do you, I'm just feeling like there's. Um, you know the different rules within the NHS that um, that could you know provide that link or or I don't know have you got any thoughts yeah. on yeah um, a few things that I'll try not to lose yeah if you maybe repeat the question later because a few few things go to my head um, one of them um, so a number of years ago now we looked at um, evaluating the impact of the arts. And what we learned, and this was research, independently conducted research that was apparently so bad it was never released. Like the actual methodology of it was terrible. I know, it just disappeared. Um, but one of the things that, I, that definitely came out of that was we do not speak the same language. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I was there, you know, not, you know, I'm not an artist, although I've done arty things. And I'm not a, you know, clinician, although I work for the NHS. So I felt quite in the middle, but you kind of had artists saying the art speaks for itself. This this is evidence, you know, the fact that somebody's engaged and made it, that is evidence. And then you had the kind of medical people saying, well, you know, speak to me in terms of quality adjusted life years or, you know, the kind of, you know, dosage effect and not really any desire to meet in the middle. And I think my point to the kind of arts community was it's not the way it should be, but it is the way it should it is the way it is. These are how decisions are made on funding. So if we can't say that actually somebody's core 10 score comes down by six points mm-hmm. you know by doing x then we we can't we can't make the case to for that to be seen as a kind of a viable alternative and and i and i 
don't think we've moved on that much since then in terms of core of course statutory funding going into the arts it still feels like you know when we've got enough money you know everyone thinks it's a good thing to do but actually it's it's the first to go and it's yeah and and for for me as well there was kind of a not, not a shrinkage, but I guess as resources become more scarce and needs becomes greater, uh, you you kind of you retreat a little bit back to your your silo in terms of, and I think I think we all do that. Um, and I definitely feel in the NHS, yeah. Obviously, we're in Scotland, so we we're so fortunate um, in terms of you know things not being cut. But it does, yeah. It's I. It gets harder to say, you know. I, you know, no, I want to spend fifteen grand on a on a film, you know. When, yeah, I don't know. I'm not answering that very well. Well, you have perfectly. Sorry, it was a Sorry, bit okay. question. I, I think um, it's definitely something that I can relate to because I I'm, I work for the NHS is just, and that's something that I often feel quite frustrated about is how the NHS evaluates things and it is all about um, a quantitative approach you know where so much yes. especially in mental health is about quality and and it's so much harder to evaluate and um, and that is yeah it's a frustrating frustrating it certainly is, uh-huh. it is. And I think I think the kind of the the kind of yeah crux not maybe of that problem, but generally is um, the kind of remove that we've got between, yeah, kind of professionals and communities. Like we kind of, we disconnect too, we disaggregate these bits of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, me as service provider, this is the service that I'll provide to you. But yeah, don't don't often put ourselves in the role of how, how would I want to be? Mm-hmm. How would, you know, because you would want your story to count for more than your, I don't know, your blood count or whatever. So maybe um, tell me a bit about the funding and the funding challenges. Um, well, I guess I've not, I've not attempted to get funding for an arts project for a number of years now. Um, and that's partly because, yeah, all, all our sort of arts work has worked with platform. And, and they're obviously the kind. How are, how are they? How's platform funded? Is that all Creative Scotland, or it's a real it's a real mixture. So um, I think some Creative Scotland funding, some um, funding from the Glasgow's Glasgow Community Fund, what used to be integrated grants funding. Mm-hmm. So I know that I don't you yeah. So Jackie Shearer was the manager when Katie was there, and it's now um, Jenny Crow, um, and I would. A big bit of her job is is funding and bringing funding in. Yeah. Um, so I I don't really know much about the kind of arts funding world anymore. I'd be yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm afraid. That's <laughs> so okay. I'll not. I'll not speculate. <laughs> okay, talk. So just I suppose the big the big sort of part of what what the, the project that you're working on was stigma. Um do you feel like that changed in the time that you were you were working on that? Yeah. Yeah. 
for sure. Because I think I think mental health is no longer seen as a kind of a peripheral issue. Or yeah, I think most people know now that mental health isn't yeah to be conflated with mental illness. And and it's, yeah, I do feel it's much more in the kind of mm-hmm. yeah we're, we're yeah we're much more aware of it. Although a, a colleague of mine pointed out to me, sent me a Guardian article about somebody. Um, it's one of the, one of the Guardian journalists, and she's got. Um, bipolar disorder that can be really quite severe and she was saying how annoyed she is at this you know kind of yeah it's not something that everyone experiences and it's not just like a broken leg actually if you're really at the sharp edge of you know having really severe symptoms then yeah the kind of the you know we've all got mental health conversations actually great a wee bit so I'm aware that actually yeah generally I think yeah we're so much more aware and so much more yeah so much less stigmatized but maybe but maybe if you're yeah if you experience psychosis maybe it's yeah maybe we've not moved on that much maybe it's just as stigmatized and frightening as it would have been 10 years ago mm. but, yeah, yeah interesting yeah just yeah. you know the uh-huh more more sort of severe chronic mental health conditions maybe they're more um I don't know, maybe less is known about them and... Yeah. Um, yeah, or I think, I suppose the kind of the... I did I did my um, master's again a number of years ago uh, on stigma and kind of um, the impact of a lesson on aspects of stigma. But the kind of, that point, the, the literature was very much the kind of aspects of mental health stigma were about, like, dangerousness, um, mm. lack of intellect, loss of control... Um, kind of social social distance which is now coming to kind of common parlance but yeah there was definitely these measures of stigma that were very much about that kind of severe and enduring end of the scale and it might be that we've not we've not shifted that much mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know but it definitely feels for your kind of commoner garden anxiety depression that most of us are going to experience mm-hmm. it definitely feels it's a lot easier to talk about these things mm-hmm. however I yeah and I think yeah. In schools, it's become more, um, you know, just part of the curriculum in general, but also kids just being able to articulate emotions and just become aware from a younger age, you know, that you need to talk about mental health. Yeah. Which is positive. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that you'd like to say, Ruth, or that you that we've not talked about today? Um, I think one of the things that that I loved about that kind of arts work was the ability for people to define themselves in a different way. And that wasn't something that I think like, me or any of the artists kind of built into it. It was something that really naturally emerged. Mm-hmm. Was but yeah, people that maybe had been, you know, Jimmy the schizophrenic or, you know, Brian the alcoholic or whatever, defining themselves as as an artist or as, you know, a, a writer or or even as a, a participant or a volunteer or a friend or that that stuff to me was incredibly powerful. Um and did did a lot. And then I think the other thing that maybe not mentioned, but I don't know if I don't know if you'll have spoken to others or if you will have the, the role of the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival. So that so prior to that, 
we had Headspace at Easter House with Platform. And uh, they were very much bought into the idea, as we all were, that you resource it the way that you would a professional, you know, thing. So whether that was a, you know, theatre production or an exhibition or whatever, it was, it had, it should have the same production values and be kind of held in the same esteem. And I think that sends quite a strong message as well mm-hmm. when people then engage with it. So yeah, really, really really lovely to see people watching their own work being you know projected or it's I yeah and I miss that I miss that because yeah I think because the resources aren't aren't yeah dead at the minute or maybe I'm just not connected enough for that that world anymore to to be having those experiences but yeah definitely something about people's ability to define themselves mm-hmm. as something something else mm-hmm but then I'm going back to days where you would be referred to as, you know, with the schizophrenic. There was no person in there, you know, whereas now I would hope you would say with, with you know, who has schizophrenia, you know, or with the mum or with, yeah. So I, I hope we've moved on mm-hmm. in those terms, but yeah. yeah. Okie doke. Thank you so much. I don't... Yeah, I feel like you've um, you've given so much information, Ruth. Thank you, and it's all really valuable. And you've, you know, it sounds like the experiences that you've had are are amazing. And you know, just yeah, it's like you said that have 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 made you know made positive change and positive differences in people's lives. Have are so valuable. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Nice to talk to you. And, and you. Yeah.